Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Don't you love an extra hundred dollars in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get a hundred dollars back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. And welcome to this. It is the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. I am here in the rugby dungeon with Phil. Hello, Phil. Hello, JB. Listen to Tim, because what is Tim doing? I think he's in the spirit of Cocker right now. No, the spirit is... Hang on. Is the spirit of Cocker his yacht or his jet? <laughs> I, I, In my head, spirit of Cocker was the yacht. Yeah, it's a yacht, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but we've been, I think we've been um, confusing it. Conflating the yacht and the jet. Yeah, Co- Cocker Jet so, 3000. Sp- yeah, Spirit of Cocker is the yacht, um, which he might be on the Spirit of Cocker right now. The amount of money that boy earns is just incredible. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. One day we'll all be as wealthy as Cocker. Uh, <laughs> if there's enough inflation, yes, we- <laughs> quite, quite. <laughs> we'll all be carrying <laughs> wheelbarrows full of money around like Cocker is. Yeah, really still uses a, wheel- um, a wheelbarrow. Anyway. <laughs> Um, this is the Domestic Rugby Podcast. We'll be talking about some things domestic, in fact, all things domestic. Six Nations Podcast will include Cocker, that'll be in your feed immediately afterwards. And if you like what you hear, and you want to subscribe, do that. Or if you just want to communicate with us, you can do that on Twitter, or indeed our email. Now, I don't have the emails, you don't have the emails, but Tim will in the Six Nations Podcast. I'm sure he will. He he generally... um He's incredibly careful to create those emails, so well, only the finest get read out. <laughs> Interestingly, I've read through, through the inbox recently, and there's a lot of ones that say, I agree with JB. <laughs> and I don't think I've ever heard on, on air. Have you heard on, on air? I've, I've never heard that on air, and that makes me believe that you are confused, JB. Yeah. Tim, would never, never. Tim would never ignore multiple emails from our wonderfully informed listeners that said, I agree with JB. Yeah, well... It's not the kind of thing that Cocker would do. Yeah, well, this week in the world of rugby, there's been some developments. And uh, I don't know if you know this, Lancashire had their council meeting regarding the high tackle law. So, I was aware that you, you kind of... We spoke maybe the day before or the day of the council meeting. Yeah. But I don't think we spoke since. So... I'm aware you were going to it. I was. I'm aware that you were pretty uh, psyched up and excited about it, but I don't really know the outcome. Which I guess would be a similar situation to many of our loyal listeners right now. Yes. So, so tell me about it. So, starting off, where was it held? Well, I think it was Mo- uh, LSH. I okay, think that is Moss Lane where they play. Um, a, a LSH cl- is the one that's just off the East Lanks. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So the format of it is. 
it started at seven o'clock. Yeah. It lasted three hours. Three wow. Three hours. And you were allowed two members of your club, although I'm sure cl- more some clubs had more than two members. Yeah. Um to talk because they thought it was gonna be very full. And therefore they said just send two two people. Yeah. And one of those people could vote and the other one was just there really to witness. So how many clubs were being represented? Well fifty or something like that? Is it uh, maybe yeah. not quite that many? Uh, hard to say if all the clubs were represented. I don't mm. know if they were. Um, Broughton Park were there, Blackburn were there, Preston, definitely, Moss Hill, um, ourselves, uh, Widnes, Oldham, Oral, Lee. I mean, yeah, a, a lot of clubs, basically. So was it was clubs. it roughly, was it, was there about 100 people there? Oh, yeah, the, I'd say so. Yeah, okay. I so would say 50, so. 50 plus times two. Yeah. It's that kind of numbers. Yeah. Yeah. It was a car crash. <laughs> There's no other way, no other, so, other, other so, word for it. So, what was the rough forum? Was it uh, point one, item one, high tackle, or was there some proceeding, some administration to get through before you got no, to the good nothing. stuff? So, they opened up, and to be fair to them, it was there to do one thing: address the issues around the high tackle. So, they weren't going to put us off. They weren't going to. Uh, you know, stifle us with you know, other thing, uh, uh, any other business, and it wasn't. So not, not trying to filibuster their way out of this. Yeah, they weren't doing that, and I do respect them for you know at least standing up in public and trying to defend this because it is indefensible. The format was: our two councilmen who were sort of directly elected, and a third councilman were on a panel. In addition to that panel, there was another chap who was on the laws subcommittee, mm-hmm. and then a. Uh, a fifth chap called Phil Kearns, who is an RFU bod, and he'll be in charge of sort of implementing it and coaching it. So those is, are the f- is he the one that we've seen involved in the video? Yes. Now, yeah. just coincidentally, he is a Liverpool St Helens guy. Okay. So that's just a coincidence, but that, yeah, you know, yeah. Those were who that was who was fielding the questions. Okay. And so, in terms of the the weight of the sentiment from everyone the other side of the panel. Would you say it was unanimous or Pretty close? To, yeah. So you've got five guys on one side of the panel yeah. defending their votes and the RFU initial position, and a hundred people on the other side of the panel contesting it, it that. It's remarkable, you know. It is remarkable how this panned out because I have got a lot. Of, it's hard to criticise the RFU councilman because I do, I do know, and I can see. They are clearly just like us. Like, mm. this is who they are. They've been around the game for years and years and years. But, yeah, so they're no different to the people asking them questions fundamentally. And I imagine if the shoe was on the other foot, if they weren't counsellors, then they would be the ones asking the questions. Mm. So the disconnect, and I've said this before that I can't understand, is how is it that these three gentlemen, because we have three councilmen, even though only two are Lancashire, but Lancashire has a third councilman, but not elected by Lancashire, if that makes sense. Okay. It's just like another councilman who happens to be from Lancashire. Right, okay. How do these three gentlemen hold opinions which are the polar opposite to the majority of people who they represent? Not only represent, they are like part of that constituency. Yeah, You know, if you talk to them on on any other subject, you think, you know, good, solid rugby blokes that know what they're doing, they're for the good of the game, all the rest of it. In fact, I say that about every one of the five. But despite that, I could only describe some of the stuff which you were talking as utter nonsense so, and sometimes disingenuous not nonsense, if not misleading. 
Okay, so how did they, like on that um, disingenuous and misleading, how did they defend their position? What Was it look at the Ross Tucker um, initial Patreon post? Yep. Was it look at some of the... the or, or, Get, educate yourself on the science. Was it that kind of argument, or yeah, that went down very badly. So yeah, so did they actually play that card? Okay, so the first thing they did is before the meeting was held, they sent around the Ross Tucker patron article for the millionth time. Everyone's yeah, read yeah. this now. It's a great bit of narrative writing, as in how you got to it, but it doesn't really tell you much, does it? No, and it doesn't. It doesn't definitively say the the RFUs. Um, initial decision, I keep calling it initial decision because I'm just so like aware or optimistic uh, and aware that their, their decision may well change but they are, it, it kind of talks about the history behind it but it doesn't set out that this is perfection, this is the no. oasis, the utopia It just like, it, you read it and you feel that you've read why we have to do it but then you look back at what you've actually just seen and it doesn't say that it's just, a, it's kind of like we've set up on the, set out on this journey and we've put so much into this journey, we must now have an outcome. Yeah. And that's how you feel. You know, we've gone so far and there must be something to do, to be done because otherwise we've just wasted all this time. Yeah. So that was the first thing they did. The second thing is Councilman Ken Andrews decided to do like a presentation. It wasn't a great presentation. It wasn't a bad presentation. But I think what came through was his personal view. And I do believe Ken Andrews sort of believes in this kind of i mean if, if he's willing to stand up in front of a hundred people and back what he knows is an unpopular decision because he must have known going into that it's an unpopular decision again i don't know this really so i believe that he thought so how do i how would i phrase this i would say when they took that vote they had no idea no idea what they were letting themselves in, in for Yes. So I, I think they took that vote without really thinking it through. That's what well, I think. Some of the accusations as, the, as to the way that the vote actually took place with certain councillors requesting more time to deliberate and it mm. being an immediate vote on the issues as presented at that point in time, I, I, I think that well, would agree with it. That would support that. It would, but interestingly, this is posed to Ken, uh, Mr Andrews and Dave Clark, and both of them said, no, we do not feel duped by the RFU. Interesting. They said, no, so we, they are... we knew what we were doing, and this is how we voted. So we had Ross Tucker, present, uh, Patreon, sent out beforehand. We had a presentation by Mr. Ken Andrews. Yep. Was there anything else that, that they gave in, in evidence to support it, or reasoning behind, behind why they came to this? No. So the next, the preceding two and three quarters, two and three quarter hours were questions to the committee. Mm-hmm. Followed by the threat of a vote, but we never actually voted on on anything. Okay, so it started with Manchester. Uh, a bloke from Manchester spoke really, really well, and I would say about eighty percent of the frustration and the objection was you did not consult us. Yeah, that was that was that that was most of it. Um, the Ken Andrews uh, presentation at the start was very much what he believes. And not only what what he believes, it was. Um, I hate to say this because I don't want to sound. The, the people that agreed with it most were the older chaps. Now I 
don't accept the criticism of people that, oh, they're old farts or they're out of touch or whatever it is, mm-hmm. just because of their age. I, mm-hmm. I just don't think that is that is that is a thing. And in fact, if you are going to go down the route of they're out of touch or you know, time has passed them by, they wouldn't be talking about duty of care. They wouldn't be talking about making the game safer. They would they would not be up for any of this. Mm. So you can't level that accusation at them. Yeah, I, I get that point that it's it kind of contradicts the fact that they're out of touch, contradicts the fact that they are almost at the forefront of this. Like 30 years ago, 50 years ago, none, no one had any idea about this. Yeah, they're out of touch, but not in the way that people are making out. They're out of touch because they're... They're not yeah, talking they're, to their members. Yes, exactly right. It's not that they're stuck in the past. No. They're just, they're just not... They're trying to reinvent the game. Oh, but here's the dichotomy of that position, which is there's a lot of, well, when I played, we always tackled around the waist. You know, which coach doesn't ta- uh, teach tackling here? And this really wound me up because I don't teach tackling there. I don't tackle there. I don't want to t- tackle there. I can't tackle there. You know, there's a lot of reasons that I don't do it. So, you, you know, and nobody, there's there's an element where nobody wants to admit what they're up to in rugby clubs. So we're talking, the conversation in the room did develop into, well, where do we think the, you know, the, ma- the maximum limit would be for us to say yes. And it felt like it's going to be armpit level. And I was like, no, boys, you can't. No, the answer's just no. We've not got a problem. So no, let's not give him a halfway house. Mm. Go back go back and rescind it. But there is this attitude, like, we are doing something wrong. We need to admit it. And, you know, there's a human almost wants to compromise. And the compromise from everyone seems, well, we'll lower it a bit. And I think the compromise is no compromise. Do I- None. I tend to agree with that at the amateur level, at the prim, uh, um, elite level, different ball game altogether. But at the amateur level, I think I, I'm. And I, it's quite weird because I, I think had this been handled differently, I would have been very amenable to some shifts. But I'm quite strongly in, in your dimension, which would be, I'm not even sure there is a, an issue. You almost need to prove to me that there is an issue yeah. at the amateur game before you start meddling with it. Partly, at least, because of the law of unintended consequences. 100%. If, if you're going to just switch everyone to do something that they've never done before without knowing how dangerous things are, you'll have no idea. You'll never be able to track whether there's an increase or a decrease. No. Like, if you if you couldn't tell mm. me how many head injuries occur in a normal game uh, round season at level 7... Um, Tok H's level, how can you possibly say you've improved it or not? Yeah. You, you you can't. So we were thinking about our team and our unavailabilities for this week, and we have none from concussion, and we have four or five from knees. Mm. So like, just don't tell me that the evidence... So one of the bits of evidence that they put forward, and Ross Tucker said this to me in uh, my rugby pass uh, discussion with him, mm. which is, yeah, there is evidence that concussions keep you off work for longer or... You know, they are more serious and they take up more time. And it's one of the most frequent reasons that kids go to A&E. Well, first of all, it's not kids rugby. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I, is that because there's more awareness of it? Mm. I mean, they're not going in for surgery. I mean, <laughs> you can't do anything. If you've got a concussion, you go into hospital, do you have a scan? Maybe. Then you go home. I, I, I don't know. I, to, to my knowledge, I've had two concussions in my life from playing rugby. One was being a kid. Yeah. And I had massive black eye and felt groggy that evening and fine the next day and one playing away at Bladen uh, and I was groggy for two or three days but had had a couple of weeks off. Would you say your knee injuries uh, kept you out for longer than your head injuries? Massively. In- <laughs> yeah. Enormously. Now actually in terms of work 
um, actually probably even knee, ankle, shoulder because of repeated hospital trips after it. With um, it doesn't even come close, does it? Yeah, with with that that one concussion I sustained during work. I actually went into work on the Monday, but went home because I wasn't feeling great, yeah. and then was fine a couple of days later. So, like in to- in terms of total lost work time, well, uh, as an example, um, next week, so tomorrow, uh, I'm going for an MRI. The only appointment I could get was in work time, four four p.m. Uh, yep. tomorrow. So I'll miss. This for your uncle. My, for my uncle from, from the, the from said the Jesus Christ, you're pathetic. And then, uh, likely, uh, assuming the results of the MRI are as predicted, I'll be getting a cortisol injection into oh, it on mate. Wednesday. How do you manage it? Well, so this uh, like, this is going off um, the Lancashire meeting, but it's so I saw the specialist that I saw ten years ago when I did this same thing, and he's basically like, we we both think I had a really really bad awful impact injury playing at home against Fylde over ten years ago. It was mishandled initially, and it's Sue. and it's created <laughs> it's created actually it's one of my wife's colleagues who mishandled it initially. That's interesting. Well, you don't like. <laughs> Well, I don't like it now, <laughs> but um, uh, it's created this position where, if, with a bad impact, it's just so I've got to have, um, I've got to have this cortisol injection right into the centre of the ankle joint, through the front of the where the foot meets the ankle, and about probably an inch and a half, two inches deep into the centre of the joint. Your record of injury is nearly as impressive as my record of non. <laughs> have you ever seen Unbreakable? Uh, no. <laughs> Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson. They've never seen it. Never mind. There'll be a reference in for people listening. Yeah. Anyway, uh, back back to back to the the yeah, meeting. So, okay, so let's um, move us on to like why I thought it was an absolute car crash. Mm. So we asked the panel questions. Uh, some of the things that Ken Andrews referred to, I just thought were so misleading and slippery um, that he didn't come across well. So I'll give you an example. Yeah. We, as a group, I think, wanted this thing to be rescinded. Now, I definitely did. And maybe I'm talking from a biased position, looking around and looking for other people that agree with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I certainly felt that the attitude in the room was they'd like it rescinded. And at minimum, they would want to say, yeah, it goes no lower than armpit. Mm-hmm. Right? That, I think that's what they would like. The, the general feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Andrews was like, well, we all agree it needs to be lower, don't we? Nope. <laughs> so he's trying to build consensus so we could go back to the RFU, was, was my opinion. Um, with, oh, yeah, it's consent. Yeah, you all agreed to it. You all yeah, agreed yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah. So he's using words like, can we all agree we need to look at lowering the tackle height? Nope. No. Uh, so uh, that, there was that. So there was a threat of a vote on that. But when they realised the vote that we really wanted was to be rescinded mm-hmm. or to, you know, as a group decide what height it was they were having none of it so how did how would you have got a vote to take place what was the mechanism in that meeting to get a vote so as i understand it they could have just held a vote now just to see what people want but is it it the councillors need to they don't need to do anything from what i understand or could you have forced a vote from your side well it nearly came to that so Mm. it nearly came to towards the end of the meeting people were shouting yeah let's vote Let's vote. Yeah, let's yeah. vote, and nearly broken. Di- so they don't. I don't think they're under any obligation to have a, have a vote. Yeah. I think once that vote is cast, it's going to be very hard for them to so, say to oh, walk we, back from it. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we, we're still not going to, rep- to to represent you. So I hated that. Um, the guy from the RFU on the subcommittee, I think his name's Tim. 
I mean, he just did not come across as impressive at all. He was, uh, you know, every time that people in the room asked, well, what is the height? What is the height? They kept on asking it over and over again, and nobody could answer. Mm. It's anatomical waste. It's waste. And this guy from the... I think they know. That's what I think. I think they have a very clear idea of what they want to do, and they're not being honest with us. Well, someone in the RFU might have a clear idea. I think they do. Whether it's filtered down, because it's certainly not been communicated in a clear way that I've seen. I don't think they want it communicated. Crikey. I mean, if it got out that they actually knew what they wanted to do and they could communicate that to their members, people would be removed immediately mm. and fired immediately. I, I don't think it would be... E- the, the only reason I think that Lancashire didn't move, or certain clubs didn't more forcefully pursue a vote and actually subsequently didn't look at removing councilmen, in my opinion, is that there is this grey area that it might not come in and that actually that it might not be too bad. They are... You know, the political thing to do here, if they want to get this thing through from the RFU point of view, is just keep it murky. Mm. So the, the law change is set in stone, but we don't know what the law change is. Yeah, which is ridiculous. Unless you just want to force it through. Yeah, but then surely once it's through, if no one knows it, and then once it's once it's revealed, yeah. there's got to there's, there's got to be a point where the rubber re- meets the road, and they say. Waste, anatomical waste, sternum, hips, whatever, whatever it becomes, armpits. There's got to be this point where the law is actually written how mm. it's going to be applied. Well, this is that. This is Tim's job, right? So he's on the subcommittee that writes the laws, and they are saying things like, "Well, we don't. We want to have to write a load of new laws. We want as much or as least, um, at least uh, disruption as we can possibly have." Mm. Uh, and he's making it out like you know he's doing us a favour. And actually, it would just be better just not to do it. I mean, they are. If you want the least disruption possible, don't do it. But I'd still go back to least disruption. Pro- keep everything the same. Prove, do a, an in-depth study. Prove that there is an issue. Because mm-hmm. if you did, uh, the, the, it might be there for level seven. I suspect it's not. And certainly I've never seen it at, at that level. Um, I know they do indi- in- injury audits higher up the leagues. But... If if this was proven, if the injury audits high up the leagues, say league, uh, is it three or four? This comes in tier three or four. Tier three, yeah. Tier three, which I'm, yeah, there are because I've seen them. I've seen them historically. If there are, there are injury audits proving that the uh, highest incidence of injury and the most damaging incidence of injury is head injuries at, at those levels, why are they not using it to support this yeah. now? Like, why, again, why the grey murkiness? I, well, yeah, so this is why I'm I'm very conspiratorial about the whole thing. I don't think they're telling us the, the truth about their motive or what they want to bring in. So occasionally it slips out. So Phil Kearns, who's the RF, RFU guy, I mean, I've got a lot of respect for this guy, actually. The reason being is, like, I, I respect him in the same way that I respect... And I do... I do mean this. I'm not just trying to be funny. I do actually mean that I respect these sort of people. You know, the, the defence lawyer that's got to defend the horrendous rapist. Mm. Like, it's a horrible job, but it's an absolute vital job. Right? And if that's a job you, you're given and you decide to do your job well, I don't necessarily think, you know, you're a bad person for it. So for him to sit there and take all this heat, for all, them all to take all the mm. heat, actually, and argue a position which is so vastly unpopular and, in my opinion, completely wrong, uh, I think is awful. Uh, the only caveat I'll have for that is... Unless there's something else behind it as well. So one thing that slipped out was, oh yeah, but what about you know making you know growing the game, growing the game for the new joiners? 
There is nobody. I'm going to put my neck on the line now and say this. In, uh, they say never speak in absolutes, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. There is literally nobody in Manchester, of the 600,000 people that live in, inside the M60, who is thinking about taking up rugby, but won't because the tackle height is too high. Yeah. There is no one. And there's even, I'd go as far as to say there's nobody in the whole of the UK with that mindset who would make a first team. <laughs> so if they're not going to make a first team, right, but these are the guys that you're going to attract in, why not do it with, like, your two senior teams and then a transitional team? Mm. You, know, you want you want to prove to us that your genius idea of attracting new players into the game is going to work. That's okay. This we talk, Angel, would happily set up a fourth team with transitional laws for yeah, new starters. Yeah. For all the people, for the crowds who are yeah. baying to come to play under this new It'd law. It'd be like um, you know, the, all those women flocking to the guy who's spraying a can of links on himself on the old, on, on the old adverts. And he, coming from all directions, I'm sure. I mean, it's obviously nonsense, but you know, that's one of the reasons given. And I say it's nonsense, but I actually think that is one of the driving factors behind the RFU's decision. But we've discussed that uh, before. The other thing mm. which really wound me up was the councilman voted on it. And one of the reasons they voted on it is because they had legal advice to do so. From the RFU? From RFU lawyers that they brought in. Interesting. So the position was, now you know about this information, if you don't vote, you are negligent. Now, do you believe that for a second? Uh, I find it hard to believe. Yeah, so do I. I mean, this is the point that I made in my statement, which is which legal genius... In fact, it's it's not an indictment on the solicitor. It's an indictment on... Ken Andrews and Dave Clark for believing this nonsense, right? Just as a normal sentient human, how do you believe that? That 19.7 concussions in a French league is not okay, but 16.2 is completely acceptable, yeah. and now you're on the hook legally. Yeah, Come yeah. off it, boys. And the, without even knowing the base rate of incidents in the leagues that you're talking about. Yeah. Like it's, it, it's absolute nonsense. I, I, I could see that... <sighs> I could see that argument working in a totally different scenario, as in, like, let, let's let's say let's say um, you've seen the Dana White slap thing. Yeah, yeah. Let's say let's say there's a the first few years of that, and there's a study, and you find that all of these guys have developed dementia in the first three years. Okay. If you crack on with that at that point. Then you might have a legal issue. But does anyone doubt that slap fighting is going to yeah, result in dementia? Yeah, no, I, I think it's. But right now, there is not the um, <laughs> there's not the evidence yet. There will probably be some evidence fairly soon that I that is going to be a bad thing. I would just, I would. That, just that's like that. that's going to be the kind of scenario where this is like this negligence will be ap- applicable for for the rugby where we don't even know the baseline and you don't know if the improvements that proposing can make will have any issue positive or negative to that baseline like it could be that this makes it worse exactly so i, I just thought that was the most outrageously stupid thing i heard all, all meeting mm. just and i don't know if that's manipulation by the rfu let's bring in some lawyers and tell them that they have to vote or else they're negligent but it, it's sort of degenerated into this very cliche um we live in a no fee no win world now and we've got to be careful hang on a minute if we live in a no fee, no uh, no win, no fee world, and we all hate it. Surely we should curate the community of rugby to resist that. 
not bow to it. <laughs> I mean, if you really hate, I mean, you're now saying that you hate it, um, but you know, that you're, you're literally living by their laws. Mm. So we shouldn't be doing that. Uh, and also, the list of people that the councilman blamed for this decision was embarrassing. Actually, it's embarrassing. So um, their view basically is it's just a communications error, mm. just a communications error. And they're so sorry for the communication. They're not sorry for their actions. That, uh, that to me, it strikes me as a bit of the, if only you were educated, you'd understand. Like if, we, if we'd have communicated the, edu- the the reason, the science behind this, and you'd have understood it, then you would, you'd be on the same side as us. Yeah. Which so, I find insulting. So there's a referee from Moss Hill who spoke wonderfully. And by the sounds of things, he is himself an academic, and it sounds like he's an academic in um, sports science of some description. And he explained, you know, it's not a peer review that Ross Tucker's done. It's a journal review, a liter- lit- literary review. I don't know. Look, I, I, I don't mm. know. I don't, I don't profess to know. I think that I'm just going to take Ross, Ross's science, um, you know, as it is. I believe it. And because I believe it, I look at the numbers and I think, yeah, he's proved to me that there is not, a, that there is not an issue. Yeah. But he, but he spoke really, um, uh, he spoke really, really well. Um, yeah, it's very much a, I'm sorry how this made you feel. Yeah. Not, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So they blamed lawyers. They blamed the French translation of the word waste. <laughs> they blamed um, social media. Like, they were looking for these easy outs. Like, we can all agree to blame social media, can't we? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think you're the one in the in the wrong here. And it's the same with the second height. Well, we think we can all agree the second height needs to come down. No, mm. I don't think we can. No, no, that's not a thing that we can do. Um, so, and yeah, so those were the reasons given. Um, there was a, th- a further reason given by Phil Kearns, which I just found so infuriating. He basically made the public health argument, which is, yeah, but there's loads of people playing, therefore there's loads of concussions. Mm. That doesn't wash with me at all. I mean, you just can't do that. He, he acknowledged during the meeting that the personal risk is fine. But then he went on to say, yeah, but even though your personal risk is fine, to me, the conversation stops there. Mm. Your personal risk is fine, conversation stops. Yeah, but once we have loads of concussions, they're basically saying, aren't they, between the, I mean, they're half saying we need to not get sued by lawyers without any evidence that they would get sued mm. by lawyers. And then simultaneously saying, tell me if I'm wrong in thinking this, is that argument not just we need to protect the NHS, in a sense? I don't read it as we need to protect the NHS. It's more we need to protect the RFU, as in we need to protect ourselves. Because and the, way I, the way yeah. I see that argument playing out is, well, let's say it happens to 100 people, 100 people um, per week. The numbers aren't even going to be that. Let's say there's 200 people across a full season in this bandwidth. The way I interpret this is, what if some of them are bad apples and they're going to uh, sue the RFU and they win and the RFU no longer exists? It's a Fingers pro- crossed. It's a protect the RFU type so you argument. Sa- are you telling me my, my best weapon against Bill Sweeney is to feign concussion and sue him? And so, <laughs> so the RFU no longer exists yeah. and then you can start yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, an even more dangerous league. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not adverse to that. <laughs> I would take, I'd take one for the team there. Um, although it'd be, it would be suspicious as I am un- unconcussable. Like <laughs> how this came about. <laughs> uh, so, so, so towards the end of the meeting, did you did you get any sense that the 
the panel, the, the five on the other side of the table, that their views were shifting at all? No. Or did they become more entrenched in their position? No, so what they did is this very peculiar manoeuvre, and I don't know, I mean, unless you have a moderator, I think, in this situation, people can get away with this. So they will say the French trial is a success, and I would counter the French trial was not a success. No, I'll give you a better example, that we have an issue with concussion. And I point out we don't have an issue with concussion. Mm. And they'd acknowledge that point and say, yeah, okay, well, yes, the individual risk is fine, but then there's this other risk. And then you go, well, okay, well, yeah, but we can't think about uh, risk in that way. And then everyone would agree that, well, not agree that you're right, but they just listen to you. And then the next question they'd answer, they'd just go back to what they originally said. There's no acknowledgement that their point was challenged and defeated. Mm. And it's really frustrating. So you're sitting there, and then after they've acknowledged that there is no personal risk, like, yeah, well, we need to lower the risk of concussion. Mm. You, we've just gone over that. That sounds infuriating. It is so infuriating. Because um, they think we're stupid. I, I think that's what it must be. They think that we're stupid. Um, it then... Um, oh, here's the one. Here's one. So, uh, both Oral and Oldham. I mean, I've got a lot of time and respect for Oldham mm. as listeners to this podcast will well know. Mm. Um, they, the Oldham delegation said... Quite openly, if you do this, we will fold our men's team. No ifs or no buts. Oral, the same story. And the reaction from the councilman was absolutely ridiculous. I mean, like, it was just callous disregard. They looked at them and like, oh, well, hang on. What did he say? And it just made my blood boil. I said, well, can I ask you, why would they say that? Because it's their bloody game, <laughs> right? It's up to them what they want to play. Just because you think it's okay doesn't mean that we think it's okay. Mm. And I think that really was the the tipping point for me. Just how little... I mean, what price will they pay to get their personal view across, which isn't even that important, frankly. And if it's the price that we have to go in in Lancashire without Oral and without Oldham and probably a few more clubs, Mm. that is far too high, Mm. far too steep. But there's, Uh, there's a few potential people who might come and play the game. Yeah. Who don't exist. Oh, there's less concussions for the NHS to deal with. You know, half a concussion left. And just the way they dealt with that question was so telling. Because they didn't care. And I think that might have set off, set off the room as much as, any, as anyone else. It was, like, it was the attitude of like, there's the smugness of the answer. Which is, well, you clearly don't understand. I mean, what would be the difference? I mean, do you not tackle to, ta- do you not teach to, to tackle low? You know, mm. are you the problem? Like, it's a version of victim, victim blaming. They have told you that people do not want to play this game and they're going to leave and they're struggling for numbers anyway. Mm. And you just don't care. Yeah. You just don't care. Uh, that, that was the bit which really, really irritated me. So is, is the, the outshot of the meeting, what are the next steps? Are these guys given a mandate to go back to the RFU? Yeah, so they're told to go around and collect the feedback from the clubs. And they kept on saying, yeah, almost to pass us, yeah, we'll definitely pass on your, your feedback. And as people kept on asking in the meetings, like, yeah, but what's your view? Mm. Uh, and Ken Andrews is, well, it needs to be lowered. Mm. Uh, and would you vote against it? I mean, if you voted, uh, would you vote for it again? Goes, yes, I would. And Dave Clark was very much more concil- con- 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 conciliatory. So we said, so we asked him to summarise our views now mm-hmm. so that we know exactly what he, we think he's going to say. And it was along the lines of they won't vote for anything unless they come back to the members first. 
um, and they need more clear proposals. Mm. So there might be a vote tomorrow, I understand, in a council meeting. Um, Lancashire specific? No, the RFU council council meeting. Yeah. Uh, I I can't... Well, the vote's been had, so they've put the cart before the horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the vote has been had, the law change has been instituted. And they kept on saying to the room, we can't change it. There's nothing to vote on. Stafford's motion and Leicestershire's motion came up loads of times. Just back Stafford. Just mm. try. Just try. They wouldn't do it. Mm. They wouldn't vote. I'm certain they're going to be, be... I can't say that really because I'm talking for other people. I would like to see them be removed. Mm. Regardless of it, what the outcome is, I think they have to go. And is, yeah, is there a mechanism for them? For there is. You need members four, to... I, you need four clubs to, 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 to propose it and then we vote. So it's a pretty low threshold. It's either four or eight. But, but I think... Yeah, it feels like a low threshold based on the weight of feeling that you set well, out earlier. I mean, I assume Oldham and Oral are up for it. Yeah, yeah. Sounds <laughs> yeah. like it. So we're either half there, halfway there or 25% there. Yeah. Um, Talk H would probably do it. Yeah. Probably. Um, so I'm sure I can find the other four... Yeah. The other one or five votes, whichever way you look at it. And then away uh, away we go. Um some of the good people who spoke in that meeting were brilliant. Mm. Absolutely brilliant. So, um, This is the people from the clubs representing the clubs. Yeah, yeah. so uh, I've already mentioned Oral and Oldham. Um, the chap who looks after... Do you know this guy from Widnes? Did you meet him at Centre Parks or something? Um, I did meet a chap from Widnes at Centre Parks. Yeah. Did, why did you speak to him? No, he, um, he, he addressed the panel. He's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Interesting. So, yeah, he, he did that. Um, a lady called called Katie didn't talk um, in the meeting itself, but spoke to me after. Um, spoke, spoke to me after, um, afterwards. It was really good. Uh, Manchester spoke well. Blackburn spoke. I mean, just, there was just no... There were, the only people in favour of something were a couple of old boys who were in charge of the Injured Players Fund. You can understand yeah, that. Yeah. You know, fine. Um, one guy who basically was saying, "Well, look, the laws change all the time." Oh, the biggest disaster of the night, in my in my opinion. I, I'm not sure I should even say the club. One you don't club, need to say the club yet. Huh? You don't need to say the club. Yeah. So one club sent sent a chap down to talk, and he started by reading off a <laughs> poll of what his players thought. One hundred percent of the players want it rescinded. One hundred percent. And as he spoke, he got so confused, and I'm sure he's senile, actually. Because <laughs> um, uh, I, I know this bloke, so I, I can kind of, you know, kind of make that assessment. He kind of, well, at the end of his first s- speech, the panel went, yeah, you're making our argument for us. So he somehow twisted it all round into something where the panel were like, yeah, well, yeah, please continue. Keep going. Yeah, and then the next part, um, he further confused himself by effectively saying, yeah, well, the laws change all the time. I don't see what the big problem is. I'm like, mate, you've got a a fucking poll there from your players. 100% of them against it. And you can't keep track of your mind. Maybe just don't talk. I I mean... There's a lot of pressure talking in front of hundreds of people. But, like, you you don't send that guy. (laughs) Yeah, that that is a good point. You don't send that guy. Uh, yeah, and I, I spoke to the club before, before the meeting. Right, I, I had, I should have known. I should have known who 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 they would send. Uh, it's just just an absolute. It, it was so bad that next day 
next Saturday in LSH when I went back there to play. Mm. Um, that actually came up. Like, who was who? What happened there? <laughs> what happened there? Uh, there was actually a guy called Van Zell, who was a school coach, and he made some really nice points about you know players don't want to, you know, parents don't want their kids to play in school. I actually think that's a reasonable point. But that's an age grade point, isn't it? It's not mm. a men's rugby point. Yes. So, you know, yeah, he's absolutely right on that. Um, but it's not a reason to change the game that I play. Yeah. Um, there's a point made that the private schools uh, want to change the laws because they're thinking of not playing it. To which I say we shouldn't tailor our game to meet the narrow narrow requirements of a curriculum for the most privileged kids on, on the planet. Mm-hmm. So, no thank you. Well, change they, your game if you want. If they want to... Because private schools play in their own leagues. Yeah. They play Daily Mail Cup and various other things or whatever it's called these days. They can tailor, Surely they can just tailor the laws specific to those competitions if that's what they want. You may hate private schools. You may love private schools. You may have got great benefit from them. You may, might, may see them as drains, drains on societies. Um, one thing you, you would struggle to argue is they're not successful. Mm-hmm. And you know, if they want to turn their back on the thing which has definitely provided them with success in the past... Feel free. Yeah. I'm not going to cry. I'm, I'm not going to cry over privileged kids from bloody uh, I don't know where, wherever it is. Yeah, yeah. Not playing. Name not playing school. rugby. Yeah, yeah. That, that's their problem, not mine. So feel free. So, do we know what the next steps in this are? You mentioned a meeting, an RFU meeting this week potentially. I do not know. You know, because so, there, there seems to be so much weight on rescinding changing or doing something just doing something different with this direction but for some of the things that um you've relayed that the councillors were saying is it's a done deal well a change in the law is the done deal but they don't know what the change is so the rfu actually for once in their life didn't lie um they 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 were correct and they said this is the start of the process even though it's a terrible process, right? Yeah. Now, once... And you've already reached your conclusion as the start of the process. Yeah, so we're going to change the law, but we don't know what the law change is. The, the tackle height discussion was absolutely ludicrous. Like, nobody could give us an answer. Mm. Nobody could give us an answer. And they try and talk in like these weird managerial terms, like you know, trying to baffle you. Yeah, well, if heads are share, sharing the same airspace, do you mean space? <laughs> Call it space, right? <laughs> Um, yeah, they, they just—it's so overly, com- overly complicated. My guess is that the councilman across the country will have been severely shaken by, by this. Mm-hmm. Severely shaken. To, if I was to read the reaction of them, I'd say Dave Clark looked like genuinely hurt that he had got it so wrong. Mm-hmm. He looked—he looked a bit sad actually. I felt sorry, sorry for the guy. Again, they do care for the game. It's not like they're complete clowns. Um, well, yeah, the, the reason that they're well, doing it is because they care for the game. Yeah. No, uh, they do. They must care for the game because that's why they're doing it. Yeah. Whether, whether they're clowns, I guess, is an independent point. But they must care mm. for the game. So they, yeah, I can't really make. I can't square that circle at all. I, I have tried. So Dave Clark looked quite sad and upset, and I would be surprised if he'd vote for anything. If uh, if it was put put to mm-hmm. him without going back going back to the members, yeah, I'd be really astonished. I think Ken Andrews would. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it really matters if they would or they wouldn't, because they need to go. Mm. There's just that's the only thing I can think of. Now the upside of this is I really enjoyed this meeting. Mm. I really enjoyed it, not for the reasons you might think, not because you know you get to argue and you know, do all that stuff. It was just cool to see so many people 
from so many different clubs. Who love the game. Yeah, I don't think we do it enough, you know. Mm. Because when you're in your club, you are this little isolated bubble. Um, and you don't get to talk to people who are you know, doing the same things as you and thinking about the game in the same way as you or have the same struggles with uh, recruitment, retention, training. And I, I think it's it was quite it was quite nice just to meet up with loads of people doing the mm-hmm. same stuff. And I I do think when rugby reinvents itself, and it should reinvent itself, um, I mean, this is the sort of thing we should have been looking at when we sacked all the community coaches. Like, can we pool the knowledge of local clubs together to help drive, mm. di- you know, diff- like di- different aspects? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I had a drink with Andy Northy on Saturday mm. post game. Yeah, hey, that's a bright bloke. Yeah, yeah. He just knows he's, his he's, stuff. He's a good rugby man. Yeah. He's like, a very good rugby man. Yeah. Incredible CV as well. Yeah, like Paul Arnold. And just, you know, it's good. It's nice to listen to them. Chatting yeah, yeah. to um, uh, Burnish coach, uh, Chris Jones, over text. Uh, just, a, just a good bloke. And you start sharing your concerns and, um, you know, everything about the game. I think that's what we've been missing, really. Mm. I think we've been quite, quite comfortable pushing ignoring the administration of rugby and just letting a handful of people do it, it has certainly brought into focus how it, how important it is to get involved with the game uh, at, the, at the administrative level. Now, I, I'm i not... The, I, I don't know. I am kind of I kind of enjoy it, but I wouldn't like to go to the really boring committee meetings. <laughs> you like a bit of uh, drama. Yeah, well, I like talking about rugby. Mm. You know, so I can talk to you all day about, you know, who do I think the best team in level seven is, which luckily enough, I've got a podcast for that. And, we've got, <laughs> and we'll get onto that in, yeah. in just a minute. Yeah. Yeah. But there is, I don't know what it would be, but I, I do think that when all this drama is over, if they don't change the tackle laws and I'm still playing, which I'm pretty certain at this point, I'm not going to now. Um, if they change it in almost any way whatsoever, mm-hmm. I'm just not going to bother. Um, but if, if they don't, I think there's we should look at doing something with um, with clubs when they do get together more because there's a load of ideas there. And, you know, for instance, we are not struggling for numbers. A lot of other teams are struggling for numbers. What could they learn from us? Mm-hmm. Conversely, there'll be a ton of things that we can learn from them. So, yeah, there's there's just some interesting different angles there. So anything else to touch on in the meeting? Any interesting little tidbits? tidbits? Or shall we go on to some other... Um, domestic rugby. Not not that there's been a huge amount this week, but there oh, are there's few, been loads of rugby. A few other little stories. Huge, huge, huge amounts of rugby. So there's no no Premiership or URC. <sighs> there was some Premiership Cup. Your boys were in action. They were. What was the score? I think I think it was forty six three. What what team did Sale put out? Um, not as good as um, the one that they had with George Ford and Rafi Quirk starting. How long did George Ford and Ryan Mills play? Ford didn't play. Uh, I think it was Tom Curtis. Jason Woodward played. Luke James played outside centre. Doug Dale played eight. So there's not a terrible... T- but there's a, quite a few players you've not heard... Or I've not heard of because I'm not as deep into the, the sales um, team. I did see one very nice try. I don't, I don't know. Oh, one very nice try from Exeter Chiefs right winger who f- finished it beautifully. Um, but... Oh, yes, I know the boy. Uh, there was... Um, so, a few other stories. Yeah. One that you know a little bit more about. So, Leicester are looking for some replacements. Some um, replacement coaches. Well, I don't know anything about this, um, per se. Charlie Morgan has reported some stuff in the Telegraph. Um, I actually don't know what he's reported. He's reported four names. Who are they? 
Razzy Rasmus. Okay, interesting. Michael Checker. Okay. Dan McKellar. Okay. Who is an assistant of Eddie Jones, Australian, who has been at the Brumbies uh, and a few lower-level Australian clubs. And, say it ain't so, my boy Dan McFarland. Wow, that's some quite cool names there. It's, it's quite a broad spread as well, broad church, because you've got, I mean, Erasmus and Michael Checker are, well, they're both currently involved with teams heading into the World Cup, so wouldn't be available prior to, um, yep. let's say, November, when the World Cup finishes, prior to Christmas of this year. Um, Dan McKellar, who would be an assistant to Eddie Jones, also heading into a World Cup, but he's he's the least known of the four. Yep. And Dan McFarland, who is, if you, if you're a bit of a rugby nose, you're probably aware of Dan McFarland for, I'd say, somewhat probably overachieving with a relatively small, relatively thin squad. Okay. Now he's still Ulster is still a little bit disappointing to not have won anything in his tenure, but um, I think I think he's got that squad playing incredibly well and and arguably over overperforming relative to its talent. So maybe you're better to talk about Dummett Fallen than I am. Why would Leicester Tigers be looking forward to Dummett? Because to me that makes the most sense. That's one. That's a name that I like. But why would you go for it? Um, just because he's a talented coach and he's so he's made that Ulster team more than the sum of its parts. Yeah. That and that as a principle for any coach is a good thing. Agreed. So Yeah, it's that, like they didn't have any real second rows and all of a sudden Kieran Treadwell is serviceable. Kieran Treadwell is very, very good. They they had he, he wasn't to start with though. Well yeah he was like a Quinn's reservist. And, and Alan O'Connor um they massively made the most out of him. Obviously you've got Hendo, but he's either constantly with Ireland or injured. Um so yeah great example Getting the best out of Billy Burns mm. and in the turn getting the best out of that back line. Converting John Cooney from a Connacht reject. Well, no, it wasn't a reject, but Leinster reject to Connacht reject to, well, wanted by two nations who played for uh, Ireland International and then wanted by Scotland. Um, the rise of Nathan Doak, who mm. I think is absolutely class. The rise of Robbie Balakoon and Mike Lowry and Tom O'Toole, who looked, we'll get into it in the... Um, the Six Nations pod, but um, we might have already got into it, depending on which one you're listening to first. Yep. Tom O'Toole, who's absolutely class. Stuart Moore, the young hooker. There's just so much talent that he's being brought through. And I, do, I really do think that um, overall he gets more from the talent. Uh, it's, it creates something that's more than the sum of its parts. I tend to agree with that. So Dan McFarland is a, I think he would be an astute, under the radar pickup. Up. Yeah. And he's an Englishman as well. Of course. In, yeah, and I just think club rugby going in. I just don't think uh, international rugby is a good fit for Premiership rugby. That's my main thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't actually care much for the names um, because I, I just don't. I, I, I'm not interested in what the speculation is of who might come and who might not. Uh, I'm more interested in the process and how they get there and you know, who they eventually select. So my first thought on this is that the Premiership is where you get a young, ambitious coach to prove himself. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say. Because it is white-hot heat. If mm. you can do it in the Premiership, you can do it anywhere. 
Because the salary cap means you can't have your world stars. You can't just... It's not like you're... If you do have your world stars, you have to make such monumental trade-offs that your team becomes worthless. Yeah. Bristol. Correct. Or Bath for the last seven years. Yeah, so... Yeah, just absolute absolute horror shows. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, you need to be good at actual coaching because the differential between... Uh, premiership teams is all about coaching. Yes. So uh, you know, anyone can be Philippe Sansandre at Montpellier. I could do that job. Mm. I employ a coach, and then as a director of rugby, get on the phone and just try and recruit some of the best players on the planet. I, I swear to God, I could do that well, really the, well. The the Toulon team that won back to back to back Heineken Cups, no issues whatsoever. Yeah. So you make your bones in the Premiership, and then you get picked up by an international team. For the life of me, I do not know why you would go back to Premiership Rugby head coach. Because if you're like a Razzie or a Checker, more Razzie than Checker, Razzie's got a hell of... I mean, for whatever his character flaws, which are vast and many, <laughs> um, his rugby CV is exceptional. Mm. It is just... You can't argue with it. He's a World Cup winner. It, it's an amazing achievement. Uh, beat, beat the Lions with basically no preparation. Yep. So if you look at that... Why would you sacrifice your international reputation to go to the Premiership? Mm. Because you'll be constrained, you'll be the same as everyone else, you can't pick whoever you want. You're going to have to really, really be good at coaching. And I don't think it's worth the risk for an international coach to go back into the Premiership. Mm. I think URC, maybe you're fine. A top team in France, yeah, why not? Because um, you've got the money to spend. Unless you're like an untouchable DOR type. Mm. Uh, or a rugby consultant, like you know, where Brendan Venter flies in and out of clubs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't want uh, you don't want to stay there long enough for it to go wrong, and it will go wrong because it's a Premiership. Yeah, yeah. You can't stay at the top yeah. for long without um, doing something untoward. Let's say. Well, yeah, like Rob Baxter. Yeah, yeah. Rob Baxter, Baxter's great. The, the only one, the only team that have stayed on top for a serious period of time was Saracens, and we know that there was mm-hmm. misgivings at play. Now they. They look like they're going to get back there, hopefully, without the financial um, misgivings. But anyone else, no one else has stayed at the top. Look at Bath when they reached the final under Mike Ford and then Can't fell apart. It. Look at Exeter, and they had a few good years. But they're, well, they're, they're certainly in a rebuild, and that will be the test of Baxter, is how well he rebuilds. But they're not at the top now. So if Premiership teams spend a lot of money, and this is how you win the Premiership, by... Thinking about your squad construction, where do you get the value from? How, mm-hmm. where do you set your players? You're know, picking up these unheralded names. I think there's going to have to be an equal amount of thought put into how do you get a new coaching team in place? Mm. Because Leicester Tigers is a very specialist team. Mm. They play in a very unique, not a unique way. There's not many Leicester Tigers. I mean, they're very big picture. They're very uh, pressure based. You know, you don't see the nifty little skills you see in say Harlequins. It's a very different side. So you're going to have to, when you go through your selection process for these coaches, you're going to have to know that they know these players and they like these players because they're not going to have the opportunity to get rid of them. Mm. Particularly, like, you know, they've got so many valuable young lads, Leicester Tigers, and they're putting them on long, long-term contracts. If they don't like those lads, Leicester Tigers could be in a world of pain for a long, long time. Yeah. So, I, you know, you just got to make sure that whoever you pick up has got to be great. That's why Dammit Farland did work, right? Yeah. So Dammit Farland isn't out there signing players, but he has made the most of what he has. And he, they've signed some interesting players with him there, like um, Vermaelen, 
who I think it was a good signing. Um, like Kitsoff comes in next year. Like Rory Sutherland has come in. Mm. Um, like Billy Burns, I'm not sure if he was just before or just during McFarlane's tenure. But that that's a good that is yeah. a good signing. Um, Cooney was an incredible signing. It, it turned out to be. Yeah, so that's that, that's the sort of guy you need. Yeah. So I think Leicester Tigers have probably been preparing this a lot longer than people think mm. because I think the Borthwick move was inevitable. Yeah. And here's another interesting point as well is is rugby becoming a bit, a bit like football. So the head coach goes, but then he takes all of his team with him. Mm. You know, do these guys, do these teams come as like a as a package now? Like, do you get a whole set of coaches? Yeah, that, it's an interesting question. Um, this does the Borthwick situation feels a bit more unusual, right? I can't recall anyone doing that. Previously, just bringing everyone on mass. No, I can't either. Because it is Sinfield, Allard Waters, and uh, another one. There's four of them all going, aren't there? Is it Wiggy? Wiggy's gone, yeah. Yeah. So four of them all go in to follow, follow um, Borthwick. Anyway, we'll see. I, part of me, part of me does think Checker or Razzy um, and uh, Pat Lamb. There'd be some dynamite stuff there. Yep. Um, if if Diamond were to be successful and buy Worcester and get them back in the league, although based on um, what's going on at the moment, it looks highly unlikely, but that would be some dynamite stuff. Yes, it would. Uh, I think Leicester Tigers are pretty much the only club in England now who are big enough to demand a international head coach, even though I think it's very unwise for the international head coach to go there. And for Leicester Tigers to do so. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's unwise on all counts. I think it's unwise on all counts yeah. too. Uh, so yeah, McFarland would be my favourite. Uh, I don't know enough about Keller. No. I've heard nothing but good things. Mm. Nothing but good things. Well, yeah, things. Four, four years at the Brumbies. So many years at lower level, Australian rugby union. Four years at the Brumbies, followed by... Um, uh, two years at Australia and currently working under Eddie Jones and has been working under Dave to, Rennie. You know, I'd love to go through everyone in the championship and just see what's down there. See who's available. I bet see, there's some brilliant, interesting. brilliant coaches. Oh, yeah, undoubtedly. But I guess when it's... I mean, if you think about Leicester Tigers, how they were set up before, just the amount of coaches and... Uh, the only compar- comparable organisation I've been close with and witnessed firsthand is Sale. Mm-hmm. And it strikes me that Leicester Tigers have a lot more coaches than Sale. Mm-hmm. So when Diamond was there, when you watched, when I watched Sale train, it'd be Diamond. Uh, for a period, it was Dan Richmond, um, and then the two rugby league boys, and that is effectively it. Mm. That is it. Now you look at Leicester Tigers. I mean, yes, we had S and C guys and whatnot, but I never saw them on the on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is obviously pre Sanderson. I, I don't know what the team looks like now, actually. Um, Tigers have Borthwick, they've got Wiggy, they've got Sinfield, um, they've got Wal- Walters, who is not just the S&C guy, but he then has a, a, you know, a load of S&C guys underneath him. And also, when's the last time you saw an S&C guy take you know, the, the, the scrimmaging before a game? <laughs> you just don't. You just don't see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Matt Everard is there. Um, you know, they've got, they seem to have loads and loads of coaches. Mm. Loads of coaches. It'll be interesting to see not just who they appoint, but who they appoint underneath their main appointment because that guy will have to come in with with a whole new team. Mm. Well, they will do almost definitely. Um, so the other the other 
bigger news before we get on to the best team at level seven. Um, Worcester Warriors or Six Ways Rugby. What is going on? <laughs> so there's some news this week, and I, I've, I'm probably not close enough to this, uh, as close to this as I should be, but there was a Jim O'Toole press conference and an, an announcement that Worcester are... Oh, the consortium that bought Worcester are withdrawing their plans to um, try and land in the championship next season to drop down several levels and actually drop down um, not all the way by a merger with Stourbridge to drop them down. To now, are Stourbridge currently playing at Six Ways? Uh, don't think they are currently because they have their own ground. Although you drive past it, don't, don't, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Although their own ground, I think I read somewhere, is um, they don't own it, they lease it maybe from some farmers or a farmer or multiple farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might uh, scratch an itch there for them. But it, it would allow the Jim O'Toole Consortium to uh, n- not have to meet championship standards straight away, which would be tough drop down part of the way but not all the way so their rebuild would be a three four year rebuild rather than a eight nine ten year rebuild if they dropped all the way to the bottom of the hierarchy mm. but the the other announcements alongside it again i don't really i've probably not read enough or as close as i should have done number one they would not be called worcester warriors they would be called six ways rugby or something like, something terrible. yeah terrible but now, this doesn't seem that surprising to me, but it's led to some um, disappointment. They would... And I don't, can't really work out if it's due to that um, renaming or something else, but the series of creditors who they are owed, including um, other rugby organisations, including players, including local and small businesses, would not be getting paid in this scenario. Ridiculous. But then... I. I can't really see a way of keeping Worcester and those guys getting paid. Well, because I do. You got to get someone with a load of money. Well, that's very yes. You've got to get someone. So the Venn diagram: you need someone with loads of money, mm. like hundreds of millions of pounds. Yes, that's that's the level that you've got. Because you've got to have someone who can afford to lose. Let's say. Let's say an initial £20 million, I can't remember the exact figures, but initial £20 million, and then several million pounds per season indefinitely. Yeah. So, so, so you're talking with someone with hundreds of millions of pounds of liquid assets. One rugby club is costing its owner about £5 million quid a year. Yeah. So you've got to have, they've got to have that. They've got to have a, a, a desire, a, a will to actually lose that money. Not only can they, they have to be able to afford it, <laughs> but they've got to be willing to give it up they've got to love rugby and really love rugby because of those first two other things and they've got to love Worcester and so the Venn diagram of people smaller and well it's there again you say that if I had loads of money I might buy a team but it wouldn't necessarily I mean I could see myself buying a cricket team oh cricket team would be good fun but I, I have no interest in cricket or I could see myself buying a motor racing team you know, I yeah. don't think you necessarily need to love rugby, but you do need to love prof- professional sport. Yes. So I think actually that probably widens up, widens out the scope quite a lot more. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. But yeah. then, if, even if so, let's say you, you don't have to love rugby 
or Worcester that much. The threshold for the first two things, individuals who have hundreds of millions of pounds of liquid assets and don't mind losing it, that's... Because it's, the threshold for Worcester and Wasps are obviously in a similar situation is just to to buy them and not just write off that debt. This is what we're talking yeah. about as well. Because you could buy the the IP rights, the name, and just write off that um, write off that debt, um, kind of consequence free. But the knock on effect for all of those small businesses, players, and um, other rugby organisations is huge. Yeah. So I, I just in my head. That money's already gone. Like no one's Worcester are not going to be revived, and those creditors made whole. Like, I, I just can't see that ever happening. No, I, I do. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I agree with that. Now the other bit was, I, I've seen um, an interview with Steve Diamond, who said he is interested in taking uh, rekindling his takeover of um, Worcester Warriors because. Um, the RFU haven't signed off on that Jim O'Toole plan to drop down the league, merge with Stourbridge and drop down the leagues. But he seems to have indicated that the RFU have signed off his plan, even if he didn't actually manage to buy um, the assets originally. So it's a bit confusing, but there's still a way to run on this. But I think maybe the most likely scenario is Worcester are not playing... Worcester or Six Ways Rugby or whatever they end up being called and not playing Premiership Rugby for four, five or maybe even more years. Yeah. So I generally speaking like to give people the benefit of the doubt until I have any evidence not to. Mm -hmm. And there's an interview with James Stanford this week on Sky Sports and it took me all of two minutes to make my mind up on James Stanford. I think he's a charlatan, basically. (laughs) And this is just based on one interview. And the reason is the way he was talking and it just reminded me triggered me um he was speaking like the rfu councilman we're on a journey um uh, do you know the ultimate sign that someone's a complete and utter con artist is when they say things like this is what he said um you know we'll make mistakes on this journey together and if one of the mistakes is the branding and marketing we can absolutely have a conversation to look at that and see if we can reverse it to me that is the sign of a common because if you were serious and you just bought this thing and you know, you just wanted to plough on regardless and no one could touch you because mm-hmm. you had the assets to do it. You change your name and you don't care what anybody thinks. Mm-hmm. But to come carrying back and say, Oh yeah, we'll we'll have a conversation, just let me sell all the assets, you know, it just is so he came across in a such a slimy manner. Now before that I've never really um, had an opinion on him. I spoke to Jim O'Toole a few times. I quite like Jim O'Toole. I, there's nothing particularly wrong with Jim. Um but James Stanford seems completely untrustworthy from what I can mm. tell from that, from, from that interview. Um, I, I have nothing to back that up, just the impression that he gives. Mm. Yeah. Impressions count for a lot. They do. You just can There's something about him, you know, which is shifty. I can't really <laughs> put my finger on it. Right. Final bit. Oh. Level 7. Talk H this weekend. Heartbreaking. Tell me about it, JB. Confide so, in me. So, we've... We lost against Aspel last week. First league game I've lost since 2019. Mm, heartbreaking. Um, that was hard enough. And then we had two top-of-the-table class clashes. LSH th- uh, this week and Tarleton next week. Tarleton went to Bolton. Do you know what happened? Uh, probably a big win for Tarleton. Nope. Although they did get five points. They got a home wa- away walkover. Bolton couldn't raise a team. Wow. That is so sad. 
That is I, sad. I really like Bolton as a club. Yeah, yeah. I, it's got some really good players. Like they've run us um, close twice this year, and I don't think they put out their full team, and they were still good. When they came to us, they looked like a club on the up. Mm. And in the course of a season, they've lost their third team, their second team, and not to play at home is just... There's obviously something very, very wrong. Oh, God. Um, Aspel played uh, West Park, and after watching Aspel last week, I was like, there's no way West Park will live with Aspel. Aspel lost. Unbelievable. Wow. Now, I just did, they to... have a, did, they have a, did they have their best team out to, to play the mighty Tok H? Uh, do you know... They was they say they were still missing a few when they played us. I mean, I don't know what what else they've got there, uh, but if they were missing a few on top of that, I mean, that's a, that's a frightening proposition. <laughs> um, uh, there, there is this about Aspel, though. So I was, I was reflecting on the Aspel thing. It's quite a cool story because Aspel is effectively Wigan, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I always think of Aspel being Wigan. Yeah, it is yeah. basically Wigan. I'm just looking where it is on the map. It's in between uh, Wigan and Bolton. Yeah, but, it's, so, but it's it's much closer to Wigan. So do you know what I was saying before about people learning from other clubs? Mm. Well, Aspel, I, I'm sure they won't like, let me say, like me saying this, but they are Wigan's poor relation in terms of rugby. Because mm. you've got Oral up the road. Look yeah. at what Oral did back in the day. Yeah, and you've got Wigan. You know that, that's actually named after the after the after the town. And you'd struggle now to say that Aspel are not the senior club in the Wigan area. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've overtaken Wigan. That is for damn sure. And Oral are in a hell of a mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they've done it in sort of like the right way. A few years ago, they had, I think they had like one team. Now, they've, now they're regularly getting out three teams. And I know they're whinging a little bit about their availability, but they've done bloody well. Mm. And not only have they done well, they've got a clear identity in how they play. Um, you know, they've managed to attract a load of boys from league and convert them over. Mm. Uh, it's just, it's quite a cool story. So I think when people are whinging about their... Um, attendances or you know, how do we appeal to players it's like i always say you know, build the offer and aspel is quite an interesting uh, story there because they have built an offer players have responded and they've, mm-hmm. and they've come and, and and they've come down yeah so aspel lost this week how did tock h get on <sighs> so um we started uh, and immediately conceded to a, a good good start yep um and did we score after that no, we immediately conceded again. So we're two so tries two, down. Yeah, yeah. Two tries down. Then we got our own try, uh, and then we conceded. Back. Ag- then we conceded again. So three tries to yeah. one down, uh, and then we had half time, um, and then we immediately conceded again. So we're <laughs> twenty-eight seven down, and four tries to one. Yeah, down sixty minutes uh, in, and we finally got right together. So in the end, it was twenty-eight all, and. I mean, they the game finished with a LSH penalty, right? Twenty-eight all. They tapped it and kicked it out because they wanted no more. Really, and I do not blame them because you not scored the them. last three tries. We were eating up ground left, right, and centre. We played some of the most stupid rugby that I've seen us play in the first sixty minutes. Yeah, like we were conceded. <laughs> we conceded the first phase try, which is just unacceptable. Like anything which went wide was. You know, they, they were scoring on off. We had a, a turnover, like an interception when we're in their five meter, which mm. turned into a try. Mm. Heartbreaking. That's a fourteen point swing there. Oh. We just didn't do anything for the first sixty minutes. We didn't do anything. Then all of a sudden, we just started carrying hard, getting over the game line. And as soon as you start getting over the game line consistently and looking after your ball, 
everything becomes so much easier. Mm. And before, you know, we dropped the try over the try line as well. Just absolute nightmare. So we we both both teams walked away with three points. Uh, LSH have got a game in hand over us. I think they they have to be favourites to win the league enough. They just have they just have, have mm. to be. Uh, Tolson got five points. They come to us next week. If we lose that, we are done. We are done. But I think we'll win it. So I don't come know. On. Come on, Tuck. I know. Is it only one gets one goes up, or is it two up? One up, one into one a playoff. playoff. And I tell you, after being to a playoff before, I never want to go back Ooh. there again. They're horrible. A playoff is tough. Yeah, I, I won the last one against Eccles in level sevens, level six. An interesting thing about Tuck's situation, I think it's quite obvious now, Wilmslow are going to go down. I think it's quite obvious Broughton Park are going to go down. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of the local area, that is two major competitor clubs. Yeah. Meanwhile, it looks like Burnage are going to go down. Mm-hmm. Now, if we can somehow go up, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure that is feasible now, we will be the top team in Manchester alongside Burnage at level six. Yeah, There'll yeah. be no one higher than us in in the, well, in, 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 in the, the M60. In, yeah, yeah. So, when lads are making their decision where they go, they've always historically gone to... Well, not always sorry to go on. Obviously, lads go different places for different reasons. But you'd look at the table and go, yeah, I'll go to Broughton Park because yeah, they play yeah. a, league, a league higher. I do worry for Broughton Park because when they've gone down previously, there's still been nowhere else for players to go. Yeah, yeah. But now Tok H will be at level six. There will be a place for people to go. This could be really serious for Broughton Park. And if you want to go for a beer, if you want to stroll out for a beer after you're um, finishing your game, going having a couple in the clubhouse... You're in a far better location at Tock than you are at oh. BP. B- BP is in the middle it, of ev- in the middle of everything, but but nowhere. yeah, you're nowhere near anything. It's amazing how they've done you're it. Equidistant from Fallowfield, uh, Withington, Didsbury, and Cholton, all of which themselves are lively. But it's like a half an hour walk to get to any of them. Yeah, it's an amazing way that they built their built their, built the clubhouse was was Didsbury is the absolute dream. Yeah, yeah. Absolute Five dream. minute stroll right into Disbury Village. Yeah. So there we go. That's uh oh um Aylesbury had a close, close call. And a massive congratulations to old old Wim I can't say it now. Wimble Wimbledonians. Wimbledonians who got their promotion from I think level nine to level eight this this weekend. Amazing. Beating um London French on the way to doing so. Wow. So that. London French would be a cool club. It's a cool club, isn't it? Yeah. But, I mean, I'm surprised they're that low down London French. It strikes me they haven't really leveraged the French community as much as they possibly could. There is an enormous French community in London as well. Yeah. I imagine if they tried a little bit harder, they could They, they could be a, a serious team. If London Welsh can be a serious team, London French can be a serious team. Mm. Well, in, in you'll be pleased to know in National 2 North, Sedgley Park beat Chester. Bon- Huge. Bonus point win against Chester. And filed just snuck past Preston Grasshoppers. Did they? Yeah, thirty-two uh, twenty-nine at home. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. So, where do you know where Preston are, are in the league now? Oh, they, they've not. Every time I've looked at them, they've not been doing particularly well. No, they're like bottom four. Uh, yeah, um, they're twelfth, twelfth out of fourteen. Yeah, struggling big time. Uh, yeah, big coaching changer. Um, but oh, good, good that they're running far close. Yeah, not good enough. One might say no, it, it would have been if Preston could have won that. It would have been very, very. It would have just given Cedric some breathing room. 
Mm. Oh well, not that not that promotion. I, I'd love to see Cedric get promoted. Uh, might not be the best thing for the club. It might be all right. Might be all right. Might be all right. Nat, we've, nat operated, we've operated at, um, up to, back up to Nat One. We've operated at that level. Sorry, and, Nat One. Yeah, yeah. We'd, we'd, we've operated at that level and higher in the past, but um, not always with that much success. Oh well. Uh, I think any more for any more. No, let's um, so let's let's finish this. This might go out second, um, so you might have already listened to the pod that we're about to record. We'll call it the very, very, very local rugby podcast. Yes, um, but we'll go and talk to Cocker about this weekend's incredible, uh, particularly one game, incredible uh, Six Nations games. Roger that. All right, so you can find us on Twitter at Rib Podcast. Contact us uh, on Gmail. Contact Eggchasers at Gmail dot com. Watch Cocker's videos. He's doing a lot of them, and they're very, very good. And people seem to like them. They are very good. I mean, they're not for me. (laughs) They're not for me. But you guys seem to like them, so continue watching. And if you don't like it, watch it and tell Tim why you don't like it. Yeah, do that. Post in his comments and subscribe if you don't like it. (laughs) Excellent. Right, I will see you in approximately two seconds. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.